Welcome to the Expansive CEO Podcast. I'm your host, Hannah Chapman, founder of Expansive CEO and X Squared Wealth Planning. Buckle in as we explore how to create true prosperity and build a business and a life that expands beyond yourself and makes a dent in the universe. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this episode of Investment Friday on the Expansive CEO Podcast. I am your host, Hannah Chapman, and Brad Haynes cannot be with us today. So we are going to talk about year-end planning, and we're going to talk specifically about tax planning um, and some of the different ways that you might want to talk to your financial advisor or your tax advisor um, if you have one or reach out and ask um, your local financial advisor or CFP um, about some of these different strategies, if they would be right for you or helpful for you. So I'm going to give you quite a few ideas that I talk with my own clients about um, if they are a good fit or if there is interest um, in gifting or in reducing taxes. And we'll go from there. So first things first, I never recommend spending just for the sake of spending in order to lower taxes. So that is mostly in in regards to my business owner clients, my entrepreneur clients, um, where, you know, the the idea that yes, expenses on your balance sheet are going to um, reduce the taxes that you pay uh, when it comes to tax time in 2024. But if that spending is not necessary uh, for the business, if it's just uh, to lower your taxes and for no other real reason, then I really ask, you know, I ask a lot of questions there and I try to dig deeper into if that's really the right strategy for someone because there are so many other things we can do with your income, with your revenue, if you have, you know, revenue to spare, if if you are going to project that you have um, a tax liability when it comes to next year. So I'm not saying it's never the right answer to uh, put expenses into this year to lower taxes. Sometimes there are awesome strategies for that, especially for something that you do need for your business, something that is necessary. Um, if you can put that expense into 2023 and lower some taxes, great. You know, maybe that is something to consider, but not, you know, not to, for example, replace a printer um, just to have that tax deduction when you don't really need a new printer um, would be one of the examples, or to buy a brand new vehicle if that's not something that is already, you know, you don't need to replace a vehicle already, um, those kinds of things. So that's the first piece. Um, expenses could be something to look at, or it could be, you know, something to pause on and wait till January. I would really uh, look to your accountant, bookkeeper, CFO, um, financial planner to help you with those with those decisions. Beyond that, there are still lots of other ways to look at reducing your taxable income um, in 2023 without 
without crippling your ability to also save for the things that you need to save for. So let's go through through the list here. First things first, you can make charitable contributions, right? So you have until December 31st to make contributions for 2023. And that can be traditional charitable contributions to a nonprofit uh, that you like to support, um, to a church if you go to church, to um, even a school scholarship fund. Uh, I had a client several years ago who wanted to establish a scholarship fund for the school that he went to in high school. Um, And that was a great opportunity to gift we'll talk about this a little bit later, to actually gift appreciated stock that he had been holding. Um, So it was a highly appreciated stock. And he was able to gift that to his alma mater, his high school alma mater. um, And he felt really good about that. And he really enjoyed being able to do that. And it reduced his taxable income for the year. So that's, you know, another really great option if that is something that, you know, calls to your heart to be able to support a school. Um, You can also use what are called, if you don't have a specific uh, charity or philanthropic cause that you like to give to, you can also use what are called donor advised funds. Um, You'll also see them referred to as a DAF, D-A-F. And what these are, uh, is it's like a pooled investment in most cases. Um, there are nuances where you could have your own donor advised fund if the account is big enough um, in some institutions. But for the most part, you're gifting to a pool and you are able to give input on the things that matter to you the things that you would like to contribute to, maybe the causes that you want to contribute to, but ultimately you're not in control of exactly where those funds go is typically how donor advised funds work. You are giving to another entity that will then utilize your contributions and you get to deduct everything that you contribute to the donor advised fund. And I'll get to some limitations around that in a moment. So donor advised funds can actually be really, really great, um, especially if, you know, you're right around a tax threshold or you think you will be like, let's say that you're really close to, uh, let's see, what are the, what are the tax brackets in 2023? Let's say you are super close to the 32% tax bracket. So in the US, um, the tax brackets move from 10% to 12%. So those are really close, right? If your income is very low, then it jumps up to 22% and 24%. And then we have another jump up to 32%. So let's say 32, then 35, then 37 to give the full context. Let's say you are married, filing jointly, and you are right between that 32% and 24% bucket. So the bottom of the 
32% bucket is $383,901. So let's say you are, you know, you made $390,000 last year or even $400,000 um, here in 2023. And you would really like to get out of that 32% bracket and be in the 24% bracket as your highest uh, marginal bracket for the year. If you know that ahead of time, if you have good estimates and you're able to say, hey, I know we made about $400,000 this year and I would like to get some of that taxable income out, you know, maybe that looks like making a $25,000 contribution to get you under, you know, down to 375. Or maybe you're comfortable doing thirty or forty thousand dollars in donations uh, to something that matters to you, and then you can, you know, be um, more firmly in that twenty four percent bracket. You know that can that can make a big difference um, if that's something that you are wanting to do anyway, right? So we can use this charitable gifting as a way to um, benefit both sides. So you pay less in taxes um, and you're able to gift money into a cause that matters to you or into a donor advised fund that you know is going to do a good job and help you help you help the people that you want to help or causes that you want to help. So when we're looking at making charitable contributions, one of the things I want to um, kind of explain a little bit that doesn't get doesn't get talked about a whole lot um, mainstream anyway. Like if you're if you're doing a lot of gifting um, and using this as a tax strategy frequently, then you might have more knowledge about this. But I know I don't see it talked about very much in a mainstream way. So depending on what kind of gift you're making the deductibility is going to change. You're not going to be able to um, just across the board deduct whatever you want as a charitable gift. So let's use that high income earner again. So let's say you're at $400,000 of income in 2023 and you want to give a lot to a donor advised fund. Let's say, you know, you have you have other um, assets that you can use and you really, you don't need to show that much income. And you're like, hey, can I just gift all of that? Can I just, you know, contribute all of that to a donor advised fund or to a scholarship fund and just not have any taxable income? The answer is no, you cannot. The IRS does not like that. And so what they do is they cap the percentage of what you're allowed to gift, depending on what kind of assets you're gifting. So with the donor advised fund example specifically, you can gift up to 50% of your income in any given year. So you're at $400,000 for the year. That means you can donate up to 200,000 of that income to a donor advised fund, and that will all be deducted from your your income. So you'll pay taxes on $200,000 instead of 400. But that's your limit. You cannot do 250, you can't do 300. You're capped at 50% of your income. Well, okay. So what if you're like my client 
several years ago who gifted highly appreciated stock. So he was holding, um, I think, some Apple stock um, in his portfolio, had held it for quite a while. It had appreciated a whole bunch. And he really wanted to gift this into the scholarship fund at his alma mater. And so what we had to do there was we had to do a different calculation because if you have appreciated stock, so stock that has a gain on it, say you bought it at, he bought Apple at $50 per share and now it was at $100 per share. So that's appreciated stock. He had held it for more than one year. And um, in that instance, when you have appreciated stock that you've held for more than one year, you can only deduct up to 30% of your income. So in that case, we'll use the same income number, $400,000. Um, if you want to gift highly appreciated stock so that you don't have to pay capital gain taxes on it, um, and that's what you want to use, that means you can gift up to 30% of your income or $120,000. And that's it. You can't deduct more than that um, of highly appreciated stock. So for this client, we'll pretend that that was the numbers, you know, $400,000 of income, he could gift $120,000 worth of Apple stock. And that would be the max. Now, if on the other hand, he wanted to gift cash instead. So, you know, just he had cash on hand in a CD or in a money market account. He said, well, what if I gift cash instead? Well, if you gift cash to, you know, any, any um, nonprofit or scholarship or anything like that, that can go up to 60% of your income. So you can, on that $400,000, if you're doing 60% instead, instead that's $240,000 that you can gift and deduct from your income. So there is a lot of nuance depending on what you're gifting. And honestly, that was just scratching the surface. There are lots of other um, strategies. There are other tools. If you're gifting appreciated assets um, that, you know, like artwork or, um, you know, other kinds of donations, um, equipment, those also have different percentages and limits. So the um, the invitation here is if that sounds interesting to you, if you want to know more about any of those gifting strategies, I really, really encourage you to speak to a financial advisor who knows who is familiar with gifting strategies um, and who helps, you know, clients in this sort of way so that you are following all of the necessary, you know, dotting all your I's, crossing all your T's when it comes to bigger gifting strategies, right? And even if you um, say you have less income, maybe you're at $100,000 of income, you're still going to want to know that. You're going to want to know um, where the limits are so that you don't make extra contributions this year necessarily, um, unless you really want to. Again, if you want to do that, that's awesome. But if you want to plan strategically, 
you know, maybe it's, you know, doing some contributions here in December of 2023 and some contributions in January of 2024 and spreading those out. So those are some of the gifting strategies that you can talk to your advisor about. Another one is if you have investment accounts that are taxable investment accounts. So that would be like any of your, you know, normal, you know, investment accounts where you might hold some stocks or you might hold some ETFs or you might hold some mutual funds. Another thing that we always do, um, so with my clients at Juncture, um, at X Squared Wealth Planning, and we're supported by Juncture Wealth Strategies, um, every year we are very cognizant of where our clients are on their tax loss harvesting. And what that means is, you know, when your investments go up or down at different times throughout the year, sometimes we want to make shifts in the portfolio. We want to make, you know, sell one thing and buy something else. Um, And we want to be really aware of if that particular investment has a tax gain, if it's gone up in value, or if it has a tax loss and it's gone down in value since we bought it. Now, at this time of the year, November, December, there are lots of things going on um, where you might want to sell something, sell one of your investments, and harvest that tax loss. And you know, buy what you can do is buy something not exactly the same. You can't go from, um, for example, one ETF that follows the S&P 500 exactly to another company's ETF that follows the S&P 500 exactly. You can't sell one at a tax loss and buy the exact same type of investment and harvest that tax loss. The IRS says, no, 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 you can't do that. Um, But let's say you did want to sell your ETF that follows the S&P 500, harvest the tax loss that you might have there, and buy something that follows um, a substantially different index. Maybe it follows the Russell 2000. Maybe it follows the NASDAQ, right? You can choose something else, or maybe it's a you know large cap blend um, ETF that is, is substantially different from the S&P 500 ETF you just sold. In that case, you are able to use that tax loss and harvest that because it will offset any other gains that you've had during the year. Um, And if you have enough losses to offset any gains that you've experienced, um, you can also take um, up to $3,000 of your taxable income as well. So let's say you harvest a tax loss of $10,000 off of a particular investment you had gains that were equal to $7,000 from another investment that you sold. And so you have an extra $3,000 of loss. That extra $3,000 of loss can be applied to your regular income. And that so that'll lower a little bit of your taxable income there as well. Um, if you had, let's say you had $13,000 of loss instead, and so you had another extra $3,000, that can be kicked out to the next year and applied to the next year of gains. Um, So there's a little bit there. There's more complexity with tax loss harvesting. 
um, when it comes to mutual funds. But for the most part, that's pretty complex and we're not going to talk about that here today. But just know that that is another um, avenue that you can talk to your financial advisor about. And if that's something that, you know, they haven't um, helped you with or they haven't talked with you about before, ask ask about it and say, hey, is this something that we can look at? Are there any options or possibilities to harvest some tax losses on the portfolio? So that's another aspect there. With retirement contributions, we're going to move on to the next area here. You also can lower your taxes by contributing to your retirement accounts. We've talked about this before on the podcast. Um, so you know you can definitely go back and listen to uh, the episode on what your options are as a small business owner, um, you know what different retirement plans could work for you. Um, but let's we're going to talk right now about what you can do before the end of the year. And then what options you can actually wait on and should wait on until 2024, but you can still use them to offset your 2023 income. So the first thing that you can still do, so it's November 30th, you're running really close to the deadline. um, But if you are able to set up a solo 401k for your business, if you are a solo entrepreneur um, and you are the only employee of your business, or it's you and your spouse, that's the only other configuration that works, you are allowed to set up a solo 401k. And that can be set up anytime before December 31st, 2023. And that way you can still you know, fund it partially for 2023. With um, any of the other accounts, um, a simple IRA, for example, that actually has to be set up by October 1st of each year. So the deadline has already passed for a simple IRA. So that is not an option that you can use. What options then can you wait on until 2024? So we don't have to open these right now. We can actually open them in 2024, but we can use them to offset 2023 taxes. That's the new question. So with that, we have several options um, that you can and as a self-employed person, if you are a business owner, you actually should wait until 2024 to make these contributions. And I'll tell you why in just a sec. Your options are your traditional IRA, and IRA does stand for Individual Retirement Account. Um, so your traditional IRA, your Roth IRA, and your SEP, SEP IRA can all be set up in 2024 and receive 2023 contributions. I'm going to say that one more time. The traditional IRA, the Roth IRA, and the SEP IRA can all be set up in early 2024 and still funded with 2023 contributions that will offset your 2023 income. And these can be set up anytime, set up and funded anytime before your tax filing deadline. And for this next year, um, that's actually going to be, I think it's April 18th of 2024. 
So you have all the way up until April 18th, 2024 to set up these traditional Roth and SEP IRAs. Just in case one of those is the right option for you for offsetting your 2023 taxable income. If you are, again, if you're a solo entrepreneur um, or a business owner, you really should wait until 2024 to make contributions to any of those specific IRA types. Again, traditional Roth or SEP, SEP IRAs. The reason why is because you have to know what your total income is for the year before you make those contributions. I'm going to give you one example of someone. They're not a client, um, but I met with them a couple of years ago because they they had um, an error on their taxes because they made a Roth IRA contribution. And it's great. You would think, cool, you made a Roth IRA contribution. Like we should do that, right? That's a good thing to do. Yes. And they had actually made over $500,000 that year. It was a sudden influx of income. It was wonderful. And they didn't know. They didn't know what their options were or what they should do. They had that feeling of, oh, I feel like I should save something, but I, I have no idea what to do. So they asked their friends. They didn't tell their friends how much money they made because that was uncomfortable. But they did ask, hey, what are you doing to save for retirement? I feel like I'm supposed to do that. So their friends said, oh, we contributed to a Roth IRA. You should totally do that. So they did that. They opened the Roth IRA. They funded the Roth IRA. And then come tax time, the CPA said, uh, do you have a financial advisor? And they said, uh, no, why? And then CPA said, because you made a Roth IRA contribution, but you make way too much income to have made that Roth IRA contribution. You can't do that. And so that set off this whole you know, question of, oh my gosh, what, what does that mean? How am I supposed to go about fixing that? So I say that just to make the point that we actually, we need to know all of your income sources. We need to know all of the, you know, total taxable income for your household before we can make the right recommendations about what type of retirement plans and tax savings um, you should be doing, right? Like it's a really, it's a critical factor in being able to advise in the most appropriate way. So with that, I want to give you actually some of those limits so that you can start to think about, okay, how much money do am I projected to make this year? And where, you know, where are my limits going to be? So with SEP, we're going to start with the SEP IRA, SEP IRA. This stands for Simplified Employee Pension and then IRA, Individual Retirement Account, SEP IRA. They are based on your business income. And it goes through a fairly complex calculation. So we're not going to like talk through the entire calculation, but if you are a solopreneur who has a sole proprietorship or an LLC, uh, but not an S-corp, the rough estimate of what you can put into your SEP IRA is about 20% of your net earnings from your business. I'll go through the calculation as it stands. If you are an S-corp, as well. It's slightly different or if you have employees. But let's say you're a solopreneur, sole proprietorship or an LLC, 
we're looking at roughly 20%. So that's the that's the um, estimate I always go with. So to put that into perspective, if your net earnings for 2023, so we're we're all the way done with 2023, let's say it's you know January 20th of 2024, you've got your final um, tax statements, all of that, everything is getting ready. And we know that you made $100,000 in 2023 in net earnings. So you would be able to contribute about $20,000 into your SEP IRA for 2023. Now, the maximum that you're allowed to contribute into the SEP is $66,000. So it has a fairly high threshold, right? That's a that's a good size retirement uh, contribution. What that looks like is, um, let's say your net earnings from your sole proprietorship or LLC were $350,000 in 2023. Well, 20% of that would be 70 grand. And 70 grand is higher than 66. So your limit would be 66,000. You would be able to contribute up to 66,000 for the year. Now, anywhere in between that, you don't have to contribute that much. That's just as much as you can contribute. The the caveat here and the thing that I want to point out, especially with the SEP IRA, because even I have had issues with this um, with clients and working with outside accountants um, and CPAs, is that you actually do have to go back and forth with the CPA or accountant to make sure that you get the right figures for your SEP IRA contribution. And the reason this is so important is because a lot of times tax season is really, really busy. And so I want to be like clear about that. I know how busy tax season is, especially for CPAs and accountants. And I have had clients slip through the cracks with their IRA contributions where they wanted to make IRA contributions. We talked to the CPA about it. We asked about it ahead of time. And then when it comes down to filing, we find out afterwards that, oh, we just, we just filed it. You know, we ran it, you know, we got up to the deadline and we just filed it. Um, So too late. And I wouldn't say this if it hadn't happened multiple times. Um, over the years. So it is something that happens. And I really want people to be just be aware if you want to make a SEP IRA contribution, and that's important to you, or even a traditional or Roth IRA contribution, you need to make sure that you have enough lead time while preparing your taxes to actually do the calculations and then make that contribution before the deadline, right? So I can't as the financial advisor, I can't do the SEP IRA contribution until I know from the CPA what the what the figure is, right? If your max contribution, let's say, um, comes out to be $23,464, okay, now I need to be able to talk to the client and say, your max available is that amount, how much would you like to contribute? And then the client can say, okay, I think I want to do $20,000. All right, we're going to do $20,000. So then I can help that client make that contribution 
And then the CPA needs to then know. And they list that $20,000 contribution on the tax return. All of it goes through. Seems easy, seems um, like it should be you know pretty seamless, but it is an extra step for a lot of tax preparers. So we just need to make sure that we stay in really strong communication um, so that those things can actually get done. The other way that um, SEP IRAs work, so that was that 20%, roughly 20% if you're a solopreneur um, or have an LLC. If instead you have an S corporation, an S corp, you are going to be able to contribute 25%. The actual limit is 25% of wages. And then you can also make a matching contribution as well um, from your from your you know, net earnings. So if you are an S corporation, say your net earnings were $100,000 for 2023, but you're an S corp, then let's say you paid yourself $50,000 of wages because that's the point of an S-corp is to be able to pay yourself a reasonable wage, according to the IRS, but you're not paying yourself everything that you made because you know the benefit is that you only pay the self-employment taxes on the wages that you pay. I can go further into that in another episode. If anyone wants to hear about that, you know, send me a message. Um, let me know. Um, tell me, hey, tell me more about the difference between an LLC and an S corp, and you know, all those different options. I am happy to dive into that. Um, but for now, let's say you, you know, you contributed or you paid yourself a wage of fifty thousand dollars, and that means you can contribute twenty five percent of your wage. So that's going to be $12,500 that you can contribute. And then on your um, your match, you could also contribute since we used $100,000. As an example, let's say you had $50,000 of, of net um, income and profit, you could do another $12,500 into that account. So... Roughly. That's again, that's a rough estimate. Um, it's not exact. You would have to go through with your CPA and do all of that calculation. Um, if you have a SEP IRA and you have employees, that one is also, you know, a max contribution of 25% to each of your employees. And you have to match exactly what you do for yourself. So if you're that entrepreneur, um, you have an LLC or uh, an S-Corp, excuse me, you paid yourself $50,000 in wages and then you have an assistant that you paid, say, $40,000 in wages, you will actually have to match the percentage to that employee. So if you pay 25% into your SEP IRA, you also have to do 25% into their SEP IRA. So that's one of the reasons that a lot of um, small business owners and entrepreneurs don't use a SEP IRA if they have employees. These are W-2 employees, not contract employees. Um, excuse me, W-2 employees, not contractors, 1099 contractors. So with that, I just wanted to mention that. So if you are 
um, looking at, or if you have W-2 employees, SEP IRA usually is not the route that you want to go. With the traditional and Roth IRAs, the maximum that you can contribute in 2023 is $6,500 if you're under age 50 and $7,500 if you're over, you know, 50 or over. The trick here is that you can make too much money to contribute to those accounts. So just like the example that I gave before, um, the the person who made $500,000 and it was the most they'd ever made in one year, and then they went to contribute to a Roth IRA and their CPA said, oh, you were not supposed to have done that. So the very high level, again, this gets um, a little bit intricate, but for very high level, with Roth IRAs, if your modified adjusted gross income, which is usually see it as MAGI, M-A-G-I, is over $153,000 as a single tax filer or over $228,000 if you're married filing jointly, you can't make a Roth IRA contribution. Your income is too high. So again, that example of $500,000 and that person was married um, was way too high to make a Roth IRA contribution. They would have had to have been at $228,000 or less in order to make that Roth IRA contribution um, for their modified adjusted gross income. With traditional IRAs, there's more nuance. Um, so with traditional traditional IRAs, if you are an employee and your spouse is an employee um, and you are both covered by a retirement plan at work, if you make more, so we're gonna we're talking about a married couple here. If you make more than one hundred and sixteen thousand dollars, your ability to deduct that traditional IRA contribution is limited. And once you hit a little bit higher income than that, I think it's about one hundred and twenty six thousand. Your um, or one hundred twenty eight thousand. Your ability to deduct it is completely eliminated. You can't deduct that traditional IRA contribution. If you're single. If you're single and you are covered by a retirement plan at work, then that limit is $73,000. So if you make more than $73,000, you are not able to deduct that contribution. Here's the fun part that makes it a little different. If you are not covered, so let's say um, like me, I am a, um, I'm a sole owner. I'm a solopreneur. I have an LLC. Um, I'm not covered by a plan at work, but my husband is a W-2 employee and he is covered by a plan. He is covered by a 401k plan at his work. So what that means, if you're in that kind of situation um, where you're not covered by a plan at work, but your spouse is, then the limit is $218,000, right? So you can make up to that much money and still contribute. But if you go over that $218,000, you can't deduct that contribution anymore. And then the final nuance is if neither of you are covered by a plan at work, then there's no income income limit and you can make deductible contributions for each of you. Um, So that's like my clients who are both entrepreneurs, right? Where the both spouses 
own their own business. Neither one is covered by, um, you know, an employer plan. And then they can make the contributions to their traditional IRAs or their, um, if they want to, they, there's no uh, limit to their income and then their deductibility of that retirement um, contribution. So to wrap it up, I know this was like a very technical episode, but I really wanted to um, give this information here. It's November 30th, so it's the last day of November. Um, so this will be posted on December 1st um, when it gets out there. So you only have 31 days to take care of some of these options. And then you have a few months, right, up to the April 18th tax filing deadline to take care of some of these other ones. So if you have done tax planning already, awesome. Good for you. I love that. If you have not done any tax planning already, I would encourage you to talk to someone. It might be a little late to get in with someone new, um, but you never know. You never know. So if that's you, if you would um, benefit from a review, like, do I need to be doing anything different? Or, hey, I really do want to do some gifting. What are the options that make sense for me? Um, yeah, make sure you talk to your financial advisor. And if you don't have one, if you're an entrepreneur who is, you know, visionary and wanting to make the world a better place with what you do and who you help, then I would love to talk to you as well. Um, I am available and would love to, you know, share that journey with you as your personal um, you know, financial planner and and all of that. So you can reach me at hannah.chapman at x, the numeral two, wealthplanning.com. Or if you have questions for the podcast and you would like to hear more about anything that I said, or if you have other questions that have bubbled up uh, because of this discussion, feel free to message me on any of the social platforms that you follow me on um, with any questions or uh, email me at Hannah, H-A-N-N-A-H, at expansiveceo.com. And until next time, I hope you have an awesome week and we'll talk to you soon. That's it for this episode. Thanks for listening and be sure to like and subscribe. And again, if anything resonated with you from this episode, I would love to hear from you. Email me at hannah, H-A-N-N-A-H, at expansiveceo.com and tell me about it. And if you're ready for your greatest expansion, you can find ways to work with me at expansiveceo.com and at xsquaredwealthplanning.com. That's X, the numeral two, wealthplanning.com. So until next time, remember that there is enough, you are enough, and your birthright in this lifetime is to be expansive. <laughs>